All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to be here today and for all that you have done and are going to do on our behalf. Fathers, we talk about the star today and the wise men and you pulling them toward Jesus. Father, I pray the Holy Spirit would be that star this morning and that he would call and draw men, women, students, and children to the Christ of the cross, to the Jesus of Christmas. Father, as we take the journey together today, may we learn, but may we be changed. And again, may someone be born again today. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Hey, it's so good to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for being here with us at Dorisville Baptist Church. And today we start a brand new series entitled The Song of Christmas. And this is something we did last year. It was entitled The Song of Christmas. And if you remember, and you probably don't, that's okay. Um, but we took the song, Do You Hear What I Hear? And this year we've chosen a different song. And hopefully we'll use this for several years, that general theme, The Song of Christmas, and the power of the music that we sing at Christmas. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat a, a traditionalist, especially at Christmas time. And one of the things I love is the music. I really do. In 1943, and that's a long time before I was born, old Bing Crosby released the song, I'll Be Home for Christmas. And it's right smack dab in the middle of World War II. And if you remember the words of that song, and again, even our younger friends, our millennials, you probably know that song and different versions of it. And you just hear the, the longing of the person involved to be home with snow and mistletoe and presents under the tree. And, of course, you think about 1943, you think about World War II and the soldiers on the field. In fact, in England, they wouldn't even play the song because they thought it was too melancholy. It was too depressing for the soldiers. Uh, but for many American soldier, it meant a lot to think about being home for Christmas, taking that journey back home. And today that's what we want to talk about, but not 1943. We want to go all the way back really to about two years after the first Christmas. And we want to look at some guys who were on a journey home for Christmas. You want to go and take your Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 2. That's where our scriptures will come from today. Matthew chapter 2. And we're looking at the, the the song this year is We Three Kings, and, and this has a lot of good theology in it, and there are five verses, and we'll use one Sunday night as we journey toward Christmas morning. Now, the verse today goes like this. We three kings of Orient art, bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Now, sing with me. Oh, star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. Isn't that a great song? Now, now I need to tell you, it's, it's funny, of, the, of the, all the Christmas story, this is the one we don't know a lot about. And so we've kind of filled in for you, you know? Like, for instance, we've assumed because there's three gifts, there were three wise men, and, oh, by the way, forgot to mention, they really aren't kings either. And, uh, you know, there's lots of things. We don't really know where they come from. We have an idea. We'll talk about that in just a moment in the sermon. But there's so much of this. Some, some guys think they were different races representing the world. We really don't know, but it's such an integral part of the Christmas story. So we want to start in Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1. No, wait. 
No way. Let's go a little bit further back because we really need to to be true to the story. You know, the Bible says that 400 years, someone say 400 years. That's a long time. That's twice as, almost twice as old as America is as a nation. For 400 years, God spoke through the prophet Malachi and bam, all of a sudden there was nothing but silence. Year after year, after decade, even after century, for four centuries, God said nothing. And then the apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, describes it this way. In the fullness, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. After 400 years of silence, the time was right. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And we had the very first Christmas morning. And frankly, I tell you what, we'll get to heaven and we'll get in the ask God line and we'll say, God, exactly why did you choose that time to bring your son into the world? Why that time? Now, we do have a couple of hints. It really was a good time for for the gospel to be spread, for the uh, gospel to be propagated. Um, You know, you've got Roman infrastructure, you got to understand some good things, a lot of bad things, but some good things came out of the Roman Empire. And one of that was that there was a lot of roads that were built. There were many roads built. And so you had a great infrastructure. At that time, there was a, not a universal language, but a very common language, language called Aramaic Greek. Um, our New Testament was originally written in Aramaic Greek and then transferred into various languages. So there was a universal language that would ease the spread um, of the gospel. And there was a Pax Roma. And the Pax Roma was the forced Roman peace. In other words, it was not an easy peace, and it cost a lot, this peace, but there was a peace that allowed for the spread of the gospel. So those are at least three reasons why God might have chosen this time, the fullness of time, for Jesus Christ to come and to be born. But we've got to go now just a couple of years past that that initial day. We really need to go forward a couple of years and see the story of intrigue, a story of espionage, um, a story of peril, and a story of passion. It really is a great story, and I hope I can share some of that information with you today. If you're here today and and you've never met Jesus Christ as Savior, uh, perhaps this message will help you understand who He is and then in the process come to trust Him as your own personal Savior. Now, we have in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1, Now, after Jesus was born. And that's really quite an important statement. So so Matthew makes it clear. Matthew was a Jew writing to the Jewish audience. So you might want to keep that filed away in your mind. So sometime after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, again, this is really, you know, at first it was just a little oddity to me. Um, kind of something to poke fun at because we have always, you know, if you go to my house right now, okay, on the fireplace, you see my nativity set, and there it is, and they're in the manger, and I've got Mary and Joseph and those guys. You know, Mary's really important. Did you know that? Mary is really important to the story. And, but see, I, I've got somebody that no one else has. I've got Scarlett O'Hare. I do. And you know that story if you've come to Christmas Eve services. A long time ago, Faith, my granddaughter, put scarlet O'Hare in our nativity set. And I said, how perfect, because you're the big old sinner, and that's what Christmas is all about, God rescuing sinners, you know. So you go there, but guess what I've got? i got my three kings there. 
But the truth is, and it really intrigues me now, and I like it a lot, is the idea that the wise men probably showed up about two years after the first Christmas. And, and that's proven by a couple of things. First off, the, I, don't, I told you we're not sure where they came from, but we're pretty sure they came from Babylon and they came from Mesopotamia. Oh, forget it. That M word. And, and so about, about two, 2,500 miles, okay? So it'll probably take them, once they saw the star, it would take them about, are you ready? Two years. Two years to travel that distance to get to Jerusalem. Then we have, of course, what we're going to see this morning is the word young child. This is not the word for baby. This is the word the Bible uses for toddler, for toddler. And it's used in our scripture today, okay, to describe Jesus. So not as a baby, but as a toddler. And we consider toddlers, oh, two, two or three years old. And then the final thing is this, is that when the wise men get there, they don't go into the stable. They don't go into a inn. They go into a house, a house. So very apparently, you know, Mary and Joseph, whatever reason, decide to set up shop for a while in Bethlehem. Now, all that is important because of the way the story develops. So the Bible says then, so after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and there was more than one Bethlehem, and the author is very careful to make sure we understand what Bethlehem, because it was prophesied, okay? Uh, Bethlehem in Judea, here it is, in the days of Herod the king. In the days of Herod the king. I want you to understand that our God is a God of great details. Our God is a great God of details. There's just simply no happen chance. There's no circumstance. There's no accidents with God. Let me read to you a scripture that was right after our scripture today. I think we go through verse 12. This is verse number 13 in Matthew chapter 2. And it kind of sets up. Why did God have the wise men show up about two years after the birth of Jesus? I want you to know it was intentional. It was intentional. Here's what verse 13 says in Matthew chapter 2. Now, when they, very importantly, the word they is a direct reference to the wise men. So after they show up and find Jesus and do their thing with him, they leave. Okay? So when they had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child, the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. In other words, it's time to go. As soon as the wise men left, the angel shows up and says, It's time to go. I want you to stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And I'm telling you what. Herod's going to be the bad guy. We'll see him just a little later on. And his plan is to kill the Christ child. So this young family has to travel. We know almost certainly from the Bible um, that Mary and Joseph were very poor, very poor. So isn't it interesting that right before the angel shows up and says, hey, you need to take a long trip. You're going to a totally different culture, okay? And, And they don't take your money there. And so you're going, you're going to need some traveling money. Isn't it interesting that right before they leave, God sends three guys, and what do they bring? Gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the commentary will tell you that these were like liquid assets. 
He was like, you, y'all remember, now some of y'all don't, but y'all remember traveler's checks? I guess they still have them. I don't know if they still have them. You know, back before credit cards, you would go to your bank and give them money, and they would give you a traveler check, and you'd use those traveler's checks at hotels, and they would take them because they'd already been paid for. The money was guaranteed. Well, gold, frankincense, and myrrh were almost like traveler's checks. And I think it's so cool of God that God sends the wise men right on time to bring some traveling and living money for the young family because they're fixing to go to Egypt. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that wonderful how God works out the details? Oh, oh, oh. And by the way, if God works out these kind of details for them, he's going to work out the details for you and for me. He's a detail-oriented God. So kind of file that away. And if you're here today trying to figure out God and Christmas and Jesus, that's kind of just an interesting thought for you to have today. So now we continue in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1, the second part. Behold, wise men from the east, again, probably Babylon, wise men came from the east, came to Jerusalem and saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews. So the star led them to the general vicinity, and now they need to find out, which you're going to hear a little bit later on that King Herod was just a little bit insecure. And they show up and go to the present king and say to the present king, hey, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And Herod looks and goes, I thought I was king of the Jews. And you can see where he probably was just a little bit insecure about this whole thing. But what's really cool is this, is that it's important to know, now the wise men didn't know this, but the place where Jesus was going to be born was prophesied. Way back in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, where he was going to be born was prophesied. And here's what Micah 5, 2 says, but you Bethlehem, Epaphra, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old and from everlasting. So the Bible prophesied that the Messiah from old and to everlasting was going to be born in a particular place. And that particular place was Bethlehem, and not just any Bethlehem, but Bethlehem of Judah. How interesting is that? Now, I just thought we'd have some fun, okay? I want to ask the question, so what are the chances? So what are the chances? What are the chances of a person, a particular person, being born and then being born in Bethlehem? Well, a guy named uh, Peter Stoner, who was a professor at Westmount College, uh, did a research, did some study, and here's what he came up with. Based on what we know about the population of that general area, including Jerusalem and all that area, and Bethlehem, how many men might live in Bethlehem, he came up with the odds of a particular man, just take a particular man to be born in Bethlehem, like, you know, supposed to be born there, and it was 300,000 to one. So if, if, if the Bible said, looking forward, Brent was going to be born in Bethlehem, the chances of Brent really being born in Bethlehem was going to be about 300,000 to 1. Those are big odds, aren't they? Yeah? So it's really cool that when the Messiah comes, the Bible said the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, and guess what happened? He was born in Bethlehem. Very, very cool. Now, 
If I had time, and we do not, if I had time, I would try to illustrate this better for you, but it gets really interesting. So then Dr. Stoner did this. He said, what if you were to take eight prophecies? Take eight prophecies from the Old Testament, all right? And what are the chances of a man being born and fulfilling all eight prophecies? So take a person being born and fulfills all eight of those prophecies. It gets really interesting. They have a hard time coming up with a description of the number. But here's what it comes out to be. There's not like a million. You can't really say that, okay, because the number is so big. But the chances of a person fulfilling all eight prophecies and being born and fulfilling all eight is um, one followed by 18 zeros. Yeah, I wanted, Brent, I was going to have 18 students stand up, and I didn't know how to do that quickly. But imagine one person, and then to their right, 18 people lined up. Wow. And that's just eight prophecies. And guess what? Jesus fulfilled eight prophecies. It's amazing. Oh, not impressed yet? Let's go a little bit further. Dr. Stoner said, well, let's just go a little deeper. What if we were to say 48 prophecies? What if we were to say that one man, what are the chances of a man being born and fulfilling 48 prophecies from the Old Testament? It jumps up to one followed by 158 zeros. Now, let me help you. Probably this side. If, if we were to take this side of the congregation, you're going to like this, and every one of y'all are zeros. I knew you'd like that, okay? But there's probably about 150 folks on this side of the building. So imagine one, and every one of you represents a zero, 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 zero. That's the probability of a man being born and fulfilling 48, 48 of the biblical prophecies. Um, let, me, let me help you. Let me help one more way. One more way. Imagine Texas. Take Texas and cover it with silver dollars. Okay? And make, I tell you what, make the silver dollars two feet deep. Okay? So you got Texas covered with silver dollars two feet deep. We're going to take a man and we're going to put a blindfold on him. Then we're going to mark one silver dollar over the entire state of Texas. And we want him to go and find the silver dollar that's marked. That's the chances of one in eight. Now, if you did that, and this is probably not, I'm not very good at math, but if you took that and multiplied it by 10, and if you had 48 prophecies, multiply it by 10, that means the silver dollars wouldn't be two feet deep. It would be 20 feet deep. You still got the same guy, and you still got the same um, blindfold and the same marked silver dollar. And imagine him wandering the state of Texas through 20 feet of silver dollars trying to find the one. That's the chances of a man being born and fulfilling these prophecies. Oh, I forgot one small detail. Jesus didn't fulfill 48 prophecies. There are over 300 prophecies. And Jesus Christ fulfilled every one of them. <laughs> now, I'll tell you what. Those are odds someone's got to like. 
before you just throw the Christmas story away, if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower yet, and you're not really a God follower, before you throw it all out, check it out. Because it's just incredible, this story of Christmas. So, so all through the Old Testament, God the Father is going, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming. And then we would ask, how will we know Him? How will we know Him? And God gave us over 300 prophecies. You'll know him because of this. You'll know him because of this. You'll know him because of this. And part of that was he was going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. How cool is that? Then, then, then it gets even better, I think. Look at verse number 2B, the second part. To be or not to be. For we saw his star, talking about the wise men, the wise men talking. For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Where is he that is born king of the Jews, he asked. For we've seen his star, okay, and we've come to worship him. This is incredible. This is incredible. The whole star thing is about these three wise men. God wanted the three wise men, well, however many there were, we'll say three, but... He wanted them to show up on time about two years after Jesus' birth. And they had an important purpose. They, I believe, I think it makes all the sense in the world to me. They're going to show up and they're going to help fund the journey to Egypt and provide some money through international currency that Joseph needs to take care of the family. And God wanted to make sure they showed up. God is really passionate about this Christmas thing. He's a big big fan of Christmas, and he wants to be passionate about it. He's big on details. So what's he do? I don't know if it's a natural phenomenon. You know, there's some debate about a supernova. There's debate about three planets coming together and focusing, or God just did a miracle. I suppose if he created all the stars, he could create one more and put it right where he wanted and even have it move. He can take care of all of that. But the star was there for a reason, and it was the wise men's invitation to Christmas. He issued them an invitation, said, come, I want you to meet my son, Jesus Christ. I've seen a star, and we want to find him so we can worship him. How incredible that God cared enough about these three guys to put a star up there so they could make it to Christmas on time, two years late, if you want to call it that way, but two years later, and they're going to bring the thing, that very thing that Jesus needed. I think that's very, very incredible. But you know what's even cooler than that? The fact that Christmas was all about not just a baby and not just a toddler, but God in the flesh. God in the flesh. You know, the Bible says, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse number 14 it says, and the Word became flesh, became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. And He was full of grace and truth. I mean, God became flesh. That's what Christmas is all about. And God did that so people like you and me could come into relationship with Him. He knew that He knew we needed a rescuer. He knew we needed a Savior. He knew that we were hopelessly lost. We were totally the brave. All of us were sinners. He demanded the price for sin because the wages of sin is death. And then He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, strapped on a human body, lived a perfect life, and died on a Roman cross that we could have forgiveness of sin. It's just incredible. Let me read some 
common verses. And if you come to church every week, just, you know, sometimes I tell you, you folks that don't come to church every week, hey, just hold on for a minute. Let me talk to the church people. Well, this time, hey, church people, hang on. Let me talk to the people today who may not know Jesus Christ as Savior. Listen to this verse. This is Romans and what book that Paul wrote in the New Testament. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. You know, it's amazing to me. How am I doing on time? We're doing okay. Okay. So, so you know, y'all, how many of y'all know what triage is? Triage. Yeah, that means if there's a disaster. Now, now I'm not a doctor. I don't even play well on TV. Okay. And so, that, so imagine there's a disaster or there's a battlefield. And the doctors will go through, okay, the, the disaster or the battlefield. And they will, they will rate the people. And the ones that they know they can save, then they will put them at the front of the line. And the ones they know that are going to die, they put them at the back of the line. I know it sounds harsh, but when you've got so many to care for, they have to do that. It's called triage. You know, God didn't do spiritual triage. God didn't say, okay, you're good, you're good. Oh, you're really bad, Molly. You're out. You're good, you're good. Oh, you're really bad. You're good, you're bad, you're out. No, God didn't do that. In fact, Paul just said it, that in due time, Christ died for the godless. There is no one beyond God's amazing grace. You may be sitting here today and you kind of came into church because last night was a really bad night, okay? And you're going, day, no way God wants me. He ate us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God doesn't have spiritual triage. Christ died for the godless. Christ died for the ungodly. And verse 7 says in Romans chapter 5, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, or yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated or showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet godless, not while we were good, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a Christmas story. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what it's all about. Over in, over in 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter says, The Lord's not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but He's long-suffering. He's patient toward us. Not willing, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's what Christmas is all about. God is big on this. He's passionate about people. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to the cross. He's passionate about you. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to come to faith and repentance. Over in 1 Timothy 3, or excuse me, 2, 3 through 5. For this is a good and acceptable in the sight of the Lord our Savior, God our Savior, who desires, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, and there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. How incredible. I'm impressed with a star, a star that God hung to guide three guys to Jesus. I'm more impressed all that what Jesus did for us. And the Holy Spirit pulls people to the Father and to Jesus, saying, come. You're not here by accident. You're not here by accident. You're here on divine purpose. Because God loved you enough to make sure you hear this message today about a man named Jesus who loved you enough to die for you. 
We're not worried about religion and we're not worried about denomination. But we are passionate about Jesus Christ and the great message of the gospel and what he's done. Why are we trying to raise $59,000? Because there's a lot of people out there around this world who need to hear the story of Jesus, who needs to hear the gospel message. Well, we've got to move on. It's time we move. We leave the passionate father with all that he did to organize the first Christmas, to get the, the star hung and the guys there and the gifts and all of that. And we've got to get to the villain of the story. I call this on my notes, the precarious, uncertain, unstable, insecure Grinch. The word precarious means insecure. And to say Herod was insecure is probably an understatement. I must read to you the words from the song in the Grinch movie. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus and as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black pill. You're a monster, Mr. Grinch. Yes, you are. Your heart's an empty hole. Your brain is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. I only include that because that's a really good description of Herod. Herod was a king. Well, let me read it to you. Look at verse number 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Herod was so insecure, he had his wife murdered and several of his sons. Any threat to his kingship was dealt with swiftly and harshly. I want you to keep that in your mind. Because he's going to come up with a horrible, just like the Grinch did in the movie, he hates Christmas, he hates it a lot, and he's going to come up with a plan to stop the Christmas story. So, how does he do that? Well, first off, he needs a piece of the puzzle. He, in verse 4, he assembles all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So the first piece of the puzzle is he knows to know where to hunt. Where do I look for this king? Where do I look? Well, the scribes and the Pharisees said, Well, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it's written by the prophet. Remember, we read that. I'll read it again. Verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So now this diabolical leader who's so insecure and will do anything to stop any threat knows where to look. He says, okay, it's Bethlehem. Then the Bible says in verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. That's puzzle part number two. He knows where to look. Now he needs to know who to look for. Well, the wise men said, well, it's been about two years. We've been on the road for about, it's been a long journey. We've been on the road about two years. So Herod says, okay, what we need to do then is in Bethlehem, well, and it's going to be a king, so in Bethlehem, we're going to look for all the baby boys two years and under, and we're going to kill them. And he does that. He does that. That's why verse 13 was so important. When the angel appeared to Joseph and said, you've got to get out of here because Herod's going to seek to destroy. What a diabolical man. But you know what? Even Herod would not have been beyond God's grace. Even Herod would not have been beyond God's grace. What a great statement of hope, perhaps for someone listening on the radio or someone in this room today. 
So, we read on. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, verse 8, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Well, not exactly. He wanted to kill him. And so the wise men leave. And this is, this is that beautiful part of the story. A beautiful part of the story. In verse 9, And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star, the star that perhaps God hung just for them, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. The star led them to Jesus. Just like maybe today, God called you here to hear this message so you could be led to Jesus. Perhaps today you looked up and you saw the cross and heard what Brent said about the cross. And you understand the sacrifice that God paid that people like us could be forgiven. And maybe God's using that to lead you to Jesus even today. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. When they saw the star, verse 10, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into what? There it is. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You see the three things there? They worshipped him. They acknowledged him, even though a small child, they acknowledged him as king. They subjected themselves to this new king. They honored him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they protected him. When their spirit, when the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, don't go back to Herod, they went another way. They worshiped, they honored, and they protected. Now, I'm going to go a little bit out on a theological limb today. Of course, you got to understand, when people were trusting God, they, trusting Jesus in those days, they didn't understand all about what the ramifications of Jesus and the cross and all that. But you know what? I think they went home. But they went home different. I'm not so sure bowing at that manger and worshiping and honoring and protecting that king. They didn't go home changed forever. That's what Christmas does. The message of Christmas changes people. It makes them a little bit different. And our prayer today is that through the story you've heard and all the details and the interesting facts, that maybe, just maybe, you said, you know what, this makes sense. I mean, it's obvious I've sinned before, and I don't want to do about it. But God did. He sent His Son, Jesus, and gave us Christmas. And then 33 years later, He gave us Easter. and allowed His Son to be crucified on a cross. And the third day, he resurrected and proved he was God. You see, I'm trying to say this. And you expect me to say this, so please excuse me. There's just too much evidence pointing to Jesus to deny it. We're not crazy fanatics. You know, look at what the Bible and history says. And it points to Jesus. A real man who really lived and really died and really resurrected and really was the Son of God. You know, the wise men, there's always by, everybody wears a button. Wise men, you know, still seek him. 
How wise will you be? How wise would you? Would you be wise enough today, in a moment we have our time of decision, to leave your chair, and I'm, we're going to be singing, and I'm going to have come Brent stand down front and say, Hey, I want to know more about this Jesus. I want to know more about this Christmas story. How intriguing is it? And we would love to tell you about our friend, our Savior, and our King, Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads, please? God, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing this story today. I'm so glad you're a God of details because it just validates this story. And Father, I, I know there's folks listening on the radio and I know there are folks in this room perhaps who have never trusted you, Jesus, as Savior. They may count themselves among the good folks. They may count themselves among the really bad. They may be religious or not religious, but without Jesus, they need rescuing. So I want to pray, Holy Spirit, for you to do what I cannot do, and that is to draw men, women, students, and children to Jesus. During this time of decision, would you just help them to take that first step on their Christmas journey to meet Jesus Christ personally? God, we thank you very much that you loved us so much. It's really hard for us to understand, but I want to say thank you today. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.